I want to tell you all about Green Mountain Dental Group. We've had several DMVR listeners switch over to Green Mountain Dental over the years and make them their permanent family dentist. And later they reach out and let us know how great their experience was. And they thank us for leading them to such a wonderful practice. There's nothing more rewarding than hearing that from our listeners. So please, if you make the switch, let us know. And if you don't know, Green Mountain Dental Group is in Lakewood. They're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. And they're extreme Colorado sports fans, just like all of us here at DMBR. Our sales director, Lindsay, just had her wisdom teeth removed at Green Mountain Dental Group and said it was literally the best dental experience of her life. Green Mountain Dental, they'll treat you like family. After you become a new patient, they'll send a personal card to your home. After surgery, like Lindsay had, for example, the doctor personally called her and checked up a few days later. So if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, they'll do more than give you a card. They'll give you a free Sonic Care toothbrush. That's a toothbrush I use. It's terrific. It'll make it'll promote good brushing habits because you'll brush and then it'll beep 30 seconds later. You brush again. That's telling you to move to another quadrant of your mouth. And so you get the full two minutes of brushing that you should always get if you just follow the beeps of that Sonic Care toothbrush. So join up with Green Mountain Dental Group. Make them your new dentist. They show us love. Show them some love. They're only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. And they always want you to know that the first step to good health is by taking care of your mouth. Let's get on with the show. Welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast presented to you by MSU Denver Online. Time and again, the one thing that will protect you against economic downturns is an education that allows you to adapt into varying careers so you can go and build your toolbox at MSU Denver. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your, figure, at your fingertips pardon me, without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world right into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs, and some of our very own staff at DMVR are taking MSU online classes this summer. So you can get a high-quality education without selling out your future. MSU Denver is the new urban online university with learning outcomes equivalent to face-to-face courses. That's unheard of at many universities, but MSU Denver delivers. So check out MSU Denver on campus or online. It's all the same to them because their students do well in their online courses, which means they can get the same degree while continuing to live their lives. So check out MSU Denver online. I'm Andrew Mason, joined today by Henry Chisholm, who is still up in the wilds of Montana. Henry, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Excited to talk more Broncos. It's been a while since I've gotten to do this. Yeah. What's the working environment since you're working remotely up there? I mean, it, you're just to describe where you are, since this is audio only today, you're <laughs> in a home office library surrounded by an ocean of books. Uh, is, it, uh, is it a good functional working environment for you? It's, uh, it's solid. I, uh, 
I, I'm somebody who like, I need to change things up. Mm -hmm. And so I'll probably spend like the first couple hours working in here and then head up to the deck, and, like work outside a bit, watching the golfers go by. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty solid working environment for sure. <laughs> Have you hit the course yet? Yeah, we were out there yesterday and uh, it was all right. It was all right. It's a tough course up here. So mm -hmm. it's all kind of just like cut out of the woods like you'd expect in Montana. Yeah. And so there's no like hitting it into the other fairway or anything like that. It's just super tight. You got to stay online, um, which doesn't fit my game well at all. But <laughs> it's definitely fun to get back up here because obviously this is where I grew up and played a bunch. So it's a and, bunch of fun. And how is it different than Colorado in terms of the elevation? Of course, every time you play golf around here, you have to account for the fact that you're a mile above sea, above sea level. What's your elevation up there? So here it's only like 3,000, 3,500, somewhere around there. Okay. But like surrounded by mountains and all that kind of stuff. Um, once you get down to other places, like where they had the match, that's mm -hmm. a long way from where I am. But that was like, what, 7,000 or something down by Bozeman? Yeah. Looks as I'm sure it's pretty as a picture. We, uh, you know, we see all the pictures of Montana. I've seen some Montana tourism ads lately. Yep. I regrettably, I've never been. And actually, I've never been to Wyoming and I've never been to Utah, believe it or not, even though those are border states to Colorado. <laughs> I've I've been in New Mexico. I've been to Arizona via, via the four corners. I've been to uh, Kansas, Nebraska, never been to Wyoming or Utah. I mean, that's crazy. Like I'm two hours from Wyoming. And I've never been. Yeah, I, I will say like I, I went to Jackson Hole a few mm -hmm. months ago. My sister had a lacrosse tournament there. Yeah. And that was a that was a cool place. Every other experience I've had with Wyoming, it's just like and honestly, like half of Montana, maybe even more than half of Montana is the same way. We're just like, why would anybody want to be here? It's just flat. There's nothing happening. Like, I, I don't get it. I guess it, you had a farm there for hundreds of years is the answer. You could probably say that about at least a third of Colorado, too. Probably. I mean, yeah. With all respect to the eastern plains. It's if you drive on I-76 up to Nebraska, I would argue it gets more interesting, at least briefly, when you get to Nebraska than the eastern plains of Colorado. I mean, with Nebraska, at least you, you have trees that pop up, mm. especially on that stretch of I-80. You take all the way through because it uh, basically mirrors the path of the, the Platte River. And so at least. At least there are some there there are some trees. At least about every forty five minutes or so, you get to a decent sized place like a you know a Carney or a North Platte, uh, that sort oh. of thing. Eastern Colorado, it's just oh, it's hypnotic. Yeah, I've never been east of like Aurora. Actually, really, so we we had the uh, we had the uh, Buffs Media Golf Tournament last week, mm -hmm. and that was in Greeley, which I think is technically further east. Yeah, but it's a uh, you know so so those are those are the two furthest points east I've been because the, nobody's ever said like hey we're going out to wherever to do mm -hmm. something because why would they it's just flat. <laughs> I, I think you know I figured you would would have gone to the Colorado Nebraska game a couple of years ago right or no? That that was the year before I started covering. It. Oh okay all right because yep. like I mean that, I, I thought man I, you probably would have made that drive but okay you missed I out would've. on that. They should play every year, by the way, but that's neither here nor there. And maybe, hey, you know, with conference realignment, who knows? <laughs> who knows what could happen coming up in the in the near future? That's just, it, that that was a bombshell yesterday, by the way. Yep. Just 
briefly before we get back into the Broncos here, um, the reports that Texas and Oklahoma have uh, petitioned the SEC to join the conference and they've let the, the Big 12 know that they're looking uh, for a way out. I mean, the, the domino is on this that could mm-hmm. fall once they start tumbling. I mean, this could be kind of the, 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 final, the final shift of the college landscape here, really. Yeah, it's just so tough to figure out what happens next from there, Mm -hmm. because you look at it and say, like, okay, immediately the Big 12 is going to be looking to add some schools. Yes, I I think, you know, and whether that's like trying to bring Nebraska back from the Big 10, um, I think I think they probably go after Colorado in the Pac-12. But if you're Colorado, for example, what's the appeal of the Big 12? Without Oklahoma and Texas. Like, I guess you get the rivalry back with Kansas, Oklahoma State, um, Baylor's in there. But none of that is all that appealing if you're Colorado. You know, whenever people have talked about Colorado potentially trying to get back into the Big 12, it's been more because they have Oklahoma and Texas. So who knows what that's going to look like. Maybe if they try to get Nebraska too, then that could make some sense. But why would Nebraska leave? Because they're making hand over money, hand over fist in the mm-hmm. Big Ten. And that, that's the thing. I mean, now the Pac-12 hasn't been great for Colorado, but it provides a stable spot. I think there's a chance that this isn't the last uh, departure from the, big, from the Big 12. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I could see the next dominoes being, for example, as I, my phone goes off, um, <laughs> I could see the next dominoes being maybe even Kansas and Iowa state to the big 10 perhaps. And then if that's the sort of thing that happens, then I think the big 12 looks elsewhere. The question is, do they look to the mountain West ad? Do they look West or do they look East? I would guess they would probably be more inclined to look East to the American. And maybe the big 12 is going to raid the American conference and basically kind of bring in SMU and Houston to kind of lock down Texas a bit more, but then I'll start looking at, Cincinnati and and Memphis and UCF and USF. I mean, I think that's where this thing could eventually uh, could eventually head is uh, mm-hmm. the Big Twelve, kind of being mostly a, a Texas Oklahoma conference, and then kind of a a scattershot uh, east of the Mississippi conference with kind of the West Virginia and Cincinnati as a pocket, and USF and UCF as a pocket, and then and then you have uh, uh, Memphis there as well. Yeah, I think it's possible. And yes. I, I think the, the coolest part to me is that there's just conflicting interests at so many different levels. You know, like the Big 12 is going to want to add teams. Mm-hmm. The Big 12 is all of the Big 12 athletic directors, plus like the commissioner they choose. And yeah. every one of those athletic directors is also going to be looking out for what's best for their school. And at this point, what's best for their school probably is trying to bolt mm-hmm. to the Big Ten, for example. Right. And so they're all working together to see if they can patch together Big 12 while probably also putting together their own contingency plans. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be chaos. And then you get into like the politics of Oklahoma leaving. Yes. You know, it's a state sponsored university. And so are they going to let the Oklahoma government, are they going to let Oklahoma leave Oklahoma State? I depends, don't yeah. know. I don't know. And that <laughs> depends kind of on the financial factors. I mean, kind of an example of how the state schools can be tied together, uh, even though the University of Virginia, deep in their heart of hearts, probably did not want Virginia Tech to be in the ACC. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the state government kind of said, look, 
you're going to get behind this here. And <laughs> Virginia's end up supporting Virginia Tech going to the ACC back in the uh, early mid 2000s. So that's that that's sort of the thing that could throw a wrench in the works. This is just uh, this is just going to be some crazy stuff potentially here over the mm-hmm. next few months, and uh, it'll indirectly affect the NFL as well because uh, because how does uh, the football landscape look if you start shifting schools around? Who moves up? Who moves down? Is this mm-hmm. kind of the first shot in a breakaway of? 64 to 80 schools doing their own thing and uh, everyone else kind of fighting it among themselves. So this is, it's the start of something that could be pretty significant here. And, and yes, like I said, would affect the NFL, but speaking of the NFL, it's going to be training camp here in just six days. Now in five days, is the annual media barbecue out at Broncos headquarters when you you'll hear from you'll hear from coaches you'll hear from a couple of players etc it's kind of uh, a de facto state of the union as camp starts we'll probably hear from Joe Ellis there might be some ownership stuff uh, to discuss then and then on Wednesday they start practicing for the first time and it seems as good a time as any Henry to kind of take a look at what might happen? Make some predictions here, especially since this is your shot to, to, to chime in on the Broncos. So going to go through some questions, some, some talk, talking points, and we'll get into that. going to start with this one. Will Vic Fangio be the Broncos coach one year from now? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Um, First of all, I, I really like that I get to answer these now before camp because camp is going to create so many different crazy storylines, people getting hurt, people mm-hmm. winning jobs, losing whatever. And then I can always just be like, well, I didn't know that they weren't going to have whoever. If, if I knew that, then I would definitely say Fangio is not going to be there. So I do nice. like having that at my back. Um, if I had to say today, I say, yeah, he's the coach. Mm-hmm. I think, yes, he's the coach. I think we, we talked about this a little bit last time we talked on Tuesday. And I think that you just look at this roster position by position and say this is a better team than last year and factor in that this is a better schedule as well. And I think that those two things combined mean that you should be able to win eight, nine games. And it's not going to take too much to make that. I, th- I think nine games and he's safe. Mm-hmm. Eight games that he might be safe. Um, and, and I like, I think nine's the most likely. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say they go nine and eight. He keeps his job um, and they sneak in as the number seven seed, probably with the first round exit. Yeah. I mean, if the quarterback position is status quo with what they possess on the roster right now, a good season, I think is kind of sneaking into one of the last playoff spots. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, as I've said to a couple of friends, that means you get the right to get drummed on that first Saturday or first Sunday of the postseason in Cleveland or Baltimore or Buffalo or Kansas City, for example, or Nashville, uh, because you figure Tennessee's got a good chance to win the AFC South. The, the thing is, even if Drew Locke, or Teddy Bracewater, whoever it is, or a combination thereof are just okay, lower middle tier perhaps. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, the schedule. You, you start parsing it out, and 
yeah, there will be some games that end up being tougher than you might expect. And there will be, there'll be some games that could be easier than you might expect, but just sitting here right now and realizing that they only have Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and the two Kansas city games as games against teams that were above 500 last year. Yes. You expect the chargers to be better, but there could be some feeling out with Brandon Staley taking over as a new head coach, slightly changing the offensive scheme. Mm -hmm. I expect Dallas will be much better. I think Washington could be on the right side of 500 this year, but it still has these stretches where you should be able to kind of make some, Hey, you've got, the Giants, Jaguars, Jets at the start. You're gonna you're you're gonna face Trevor Lawrence in the second game, which I think is much better than facing him in Week One because you're gonna have some uh, some film to work with from the first game the Jaguars playing, kind of dissect him. And I think Vic Fangio can come up with a plan. Ditto for the Jets with Zach Wilson in Week Three. Love that that that's in Week Three rather than Week One. Week One, I'd be mm-hmm. really concerned. So you have that, and then you get to December. You have after you play at Kansas City, which is almost certainly going to be a loss. Detroit, Cincinnati, at Las Vegas, there the rest of the month. So you have these two stretches here where you can put things together. And if Washington and Dallas are shaky, then that stretch late October, early November before the bye, Washington, Dallas, at Dallas and Philly is one where you've got a chance to get some momentum as well. So you didn't. You looked on the schedule in in the previous years, and it, you didn't really have those same kind of moments where you said, "All right, here's the chance if you if you're flailing a little bit to get back on your feet." So that's why I mean I, I keep looking at this, and even if Drew Locke doesn't take a step forward, and even Teddy Bridgewater is just who he uh, has been, I think they win nine. I mean, mm-hmm. look, Chicago went eight and eight last year with I would argue a more rigorous schedule. And they had Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles battering around in nine and seven in, in 2017. Pardon me. Buffalo went nine and seven with Tyrod Taylor just being very meh. Jacksonville went 10 and six in a week AFC South that year with Blake Bortles being quite uninspiring. So if you've got enough elsewhere with this schedule, I see a winning record. I would be shocked if they don't have a winning record. And if they have a winning record, Vic Fangio is back. So this also answers the question of what their record's going to be. I think they win nine or ten games. I think Vic Fangio's back. If they don't win nine games, if they are eight and nine, I think they. I think unless they make a, that eight and nine happen with like a five-game winning streak at the end, I think they move on. Yeah, I, I think you touch on everything. Um, but the big thing to me is they just have opportunities to play from ahead. You know, it just seems like throughout the entire season, you know, you start with three games against bad teams with the Jags, Jets, and Giants. Like, those should be wins. Those absolutely should be wins. And if you aren't 3-0, then I'll honestly be kind of concerned. From there, though, you you have the home game against the Ravens. And it's like, okay, that's a tough one. That's when you probably lose. But it's okay because you should be at the very least 2-1 at that point. And if you can steal that game, then all of a sudden you're building even more momentum. And the way that that schedule sets up, you're just playing from a, from ahead and then seeing if you can build on top mm-hmm. of that instead of just being beaten out of the gates. And the other thing you said, you know, uh, the one thing that I will disagree with, uh, you know, if you disagree get all you want, seed, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you're right so much. But, 
if the, oh, stop if you it. get like that seven seed, the six seed, I don't think you're necessarily just getting beat up in the playoffs. You know, this is the NFL. There, there are upsets. Things go differently. Last year, four of the six road teams won in the wild card round. I think, especially with the defense that the Broncos have, any game is winnable, except for maybe the Chiefs. The Bucks are probably still in that category. Maybe there's one or two more. By the end of the season, maybe the Bills are in there, the Browns mm-hmm. are in there, something like that. But I do think that if you can just get into the playoffs, and this is something I've seen people talk about uh, on Twitter. It's like, well, you just don't want to be right on the edge of the playoffs. If they're just in or just out. It's like, no. If you get in the playoffs, all you need is a couple of breaks to go your way, and who knows what can happen. And so I do think that if you get in, any anything is possible, although I still would not be betting on Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, that's that is true. Although looking at the road teams that did win in that first round last year, Mm-hmm. Okay, start with uh, Baltimore beating Tennessee. Lamar, Lamar Jackson doing enough, enough to win in the Ravens defense standing strong. Both of those teams were 11-5, and five, and that was a 4-5 game. Mm-hmm. You had Cleveland beating Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was 12-4. and four. Cleveland was 11-5, and five, and Pittsburgh kind of was fading going the playoffs. Tampa Bay over Washington. Washington kind of stumbles in at 7-9, and nine, has to play Taylor Heineke. And then... The one that I would say kind of was the truest upset was the Rams over Seattle. Rams 10 and 6, Seattle uh, 12 and 4. So, unfortunately, you look at the two seven matchups. Now, Indianapolis had a really good season and was, I mean, I don't think we're going to see many 11 and 5, 7 seeds going forward in the NFL. But the Colts were, and they gave Buffalo a fight. But the other two seven game was Chicago 8 and 8 facing new Orleans who was 12 and four. And that's if the Broncos win nine games, or maybe if they're nine and eight or 10 and seven, that's probably more what the matchup's going to feel like than probably. some of these games where the lower seed won. And, and less like, I mean, the, is it possible the Broncos surprise? Absolutely. But then it's a different conversation entirely it is. because that means they got more than I think we're expecting right now out of the quarterback position. Speaking of quarterback, who's the starting quarterback week one? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, before we talked last time, mm-hmm. I would have said Drew. Yeah. Um, after having that conversation, I do think it kind of makes sense to throw Teddy in, especially for those first few games where you really shouldn't need all that much to take down the Jets, the Giants, and the Jaguars, mm-hmm. especially like early in the season, where if Zach Wilson and Trevor uh, Lawrence are starting in two of those games, you just can't be losing to rookie quarterbacks early in the season. And I think Drew is just more high variance. Plus, there's the fact that if things don't go well, you feel a lot better bringing Drew in off the bench than you do bringing Teddy in off the bench if you're down mm-hmm. a score or two. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my answer from what I've been saying Ooh. all offseason. I, I, think, I think it's going to be Teddy that starts the season, but I think that it's going to be Drew that finishes the season. Okay. And kind of the, the question that follows that up, Will Drew have done enough to get another shot if this is how it goes? That's another tough one. You know, it's kind of been all off season. I've been saying like you know, one in three, one in three chance that Drew is still a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. And it's just taken this route instead of a more traditional route to being like the guy at, at this point in his career. Um, and because of that, I feel like I have to say no, just playing the numbers. 
but I'm not going to because okay. I really like Drew and I look at what he can do. I like the way he throws the ball. I think that the things that he struggles with, some of them are going to be tough to fix. A lot of them, though, seem like they'd be pretty easy. If you see two defenders there, don't throw the ball there. Somebody's got to be open somewhere else. You know, if, if, if that's what Peyton Manning spent five, ten hours, whatever, talking with him about, mm-hmm. then that should be fixed in that time frame. And all of a sudden, you've cut down the interceptions by like half. I hope so, but sometimes it's a little difficult to get uh, your body to do under duress what, what your brain knows you should do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking about this. Um, I was I was playing this game on my iPad. Someone has created a game called Retro Bowl that you can download. It's kind of okay. it's got a Tecmo Bowl feel to it. If you're going back to like the 80s and 90s, and it's actually kind of a fun game, but you can kind of go through season by season. And I like it because you can play a game in like four minutes, like four or five minutes, and then kind of go on and do a season really quickly. And I'm like, I know better, but I'm still trying to throw into, into heavy traffic. And I'm still here. I am. I'm still getting <laughs> picked off randomly. And it's like, okay. Yeah. I think I, I think I see a window here. No, no there was no window. <laughs> so you kind of fight human nature there. I know Dre yesterday when he joined me mentioned that he thinks Teddy is probably going to be the week one starter. I think if I had to bet on an outcome for camp, I, th- I feel like Teddy's going to have more good days and that he's just going to have a bit more of the coach's trust than, than Drew will. So I think it's going to be Teddy who starts the year. But also, I'm going to say Drew ends it because one way or another, whether it's injury or just needing a spark at some point, I don't think they'll hesitate to turn to Drew, but I do think that if Locke doesn't take the next step, it will involve kind of crafting game plans that work, and you can make that work for a season, but maybe not long-term. So I'm going to say Teddy starts the year. I'm not sure if Drew finishes the year, but he's going to get some game. He's going to start some games as well, and the Broncos find a way to kind of baby this thing home with nine or 10 wins and get in the playoffs, but that they step back at the end of the season and have a similar assessment to the one that Chicago had after going eight and eight and sneaking in last year after Buffalo had going nine and eight or nine and seven, part of me in 2017 and getting in the playoffs and say, all right, it's good. We did a nice job getting, uh, getting the culture, right. Getting a, starting to build a winning culture by getting to the playoffs but we've got to go get our long-term quarterback one way or the other in the coming off season, whether it's if Aaron Rodgers hasn't happened, if it's trying to kind of be in the mix for him or looking at how next year's draft quarterbacks look, or even, I mean, if the Vikings decide to move on from Kirk cousins, I don't want to see this because you'd be picking up a huge cap number for 2022. And I think it's dangerous to uh, pay elite money for somebody who's just okay or to pretty good. But uh, maybe even a Kirk Cousins. But my guess is it would be the draft. Yeah, and it, you know I'm the draft pod guy, mm-hmm. so I might yeah. as well say I really like the quarterbacks that are coming out next year. Mm-hmm. And and I know that there's been this talk about it being like a bad quarterback draft and all that. I think some of that comes from not seeing a whole lot of them last year. But mm-hmm. you look around. I mean, what next week Pac-12 Media Day? I get to see Keaton Slovis from USC, who isn't necessarily my favorite, but has. Yeah 
all of the tools and will probably be a first round pick. Jaden Daniels from Arizona State, I think is my favorite quarterback in the class. And, you know, that's just the two Pac-12 guys. You got Sam Howell, who's probably the favorite. You got Desmond Ritter. You've got so many of Malik Willis, all these guys who Mm -hmm. I think deserve to be, maybe not, we'll see how it pans out. But I I guess you get four or five again that you're saying, I'd be comfortable taking him in the first round. And you look around the league, and I'm not sure how many teams are going to be drafting quarterbacks. So even if the Broncos do wind up with pick 2022 or something, you could still take a, a good quarterback there, I expect, and sit him for a year behind Drew or behind Teddy or behind Kirk Cousins or whoever. And I I, I don't know. I do think that they'll be tempted mm-hmm. to do that. I'm just going to say Drew's the guy because uh, my, my heart is leading me that way. All right. I, I think <laughs> if they're sitting there around 20 or 22, I think they'll try to do what Chicago did this past year. And that's try to get up about 10 to 12 mm-hmm. spots in the draft. Because like you mentioned, you know, they're, they're going to be quarterbacks there. And I, I like Sam Howell. That's kind of, the, that's my favorite quarterback right now, but there is one thing that could throw a wrench in the works here. If you go quarterback next year. And I mentioned this with Dre yesterday, that's NIL because uh. if a quarterback <laughs> can make a lot of money coming back and really is enjoying where he is at that point, What's to stop him from saying, all right, like take Bryce Young at Alabama. Nick Saban earlier this week said that Bryce Young is approaching seven figures in NIL money. Hasn't played it down. Right. And so if he's <laughs> worth nearly seven figures and he hasn't played it down, what are Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell worth when they are legitimate Heisman candidates? I mean, we already know that they've, uh, made deals. Sam Howell was pitching Bojangles and Spencer mm-hmm. Hattler, Rattler is a spokesman for raising canes. It's just whatever chicken concern is in your backyard. <laughs> it seems like, but you're Sam Howell. Let's say you, you really love being in Chapel Hill and this is maybe kind of a, 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 a pipe dream, but let's say let, let's view it in terms of the number one pick. Houston has a bad season. It's clearly a chaotic organization. They have the number one overall pick. If you're Sam Howell, do you say, I I don't really want to be a Texan. And you go back to Carolina for your senior season with the NIL money you've got with a little bit of that. You signed that Lloyd's of London insurance policy that in case you get hurt, you're still going to cash in with the money that you would have made from a number one overall uh, contract. So, I think this is something that really could change the landscape of the quarterbacks next year is NIL and the ability to make money and to make money while you're in college. Yeah, absolutely. I think on top of that, you know, there's so much pressure at this point for mm-hmm. young quarterbacks to perform really well early in their career. You know, if you, yeah. if you aren't contributing, you aren't showing flashes your rookie year everybody's going to be talking about it. All the NFL network shows, the ESPN shows are going to be saying, is this guy, what a bus already, blah, blah, blah. And, and if you're not showing it within year two, year three, mm-hmm. you might be out of the league. And if you're somehow looking at that, you probably say, well, what's best for me is to keep developing my game one more year here yeah. and make sure that I am the best possible version of myself once I do get that opportunity. And so I think on a bunch of levels, it does make sense. The one thing that concerns me there, I, I think, similar to what I think might be part of the issue with Drew coming out of Missouri. Mm -hmm. 
he didn't have a whole lot of help around him, especially compared to the teams he was going up against. And he played a lot of hero ball because of that. Now, Sam Howell, we'll see what the rest of that North mm-hmm. Carolina roster looks like next year, just as an example. But I do wonder if sometimes you can get a little bit ahead of yourself if you're uh, the one stud on a football team in college. The other thing that's interesting with Howell is his two running backs, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, both got drafted. His top two receivers got drafted. He kind of had to do the hero ball things because Carolina at times on defense couldn't stop anybody. I mean, you look at that Wake Forest game, for example. You look at the, the, that they won. You look at the Virginia game that they yep. lost. Now, one thing that I can say for Sam Howell that I think ensured that he passed the test of character is that he never pointed fingers, even though he's having to go out there and some weeks, some weeks 40 or 45 points isn't good enough would have been very easy for him to get frustrated and it never happened. And so I love seeing that. I love, I love seeing somebody who puts it on him, even though you step back and watch like, no, this isn't on you. You had a fourth down pass in the flat that was dropped that in in Florida state. Yeah. You had the defense just leaking points uh, at times over the course of the year. So I like seeing that, but it also can develop some bad habits. Another thing with Carolina's offense, it's not really analogous to an NFL offense. So that is another thing where, as for example, Spencer Rattler is at Oklahoma, and we've seen how Lincoln Riley's concepts do translate to the NFL, especially in the cerebral demands that they put on a quarterback. If you can run that offense and, and be able to handle everything that is put on you intellectually pre-snap, then you're probably going to be able to have a puncture's chance to succeed in the NFL. I totally agree. Totally with all that. All right. So good stuff. Before we move on, I want to tell you about our friends over at Ball, as in Ball Arena, of course, but uh, they're big into aluminum as well. They've made over 100 billion cans, and they're looking to make more. So they're hiring at their golden plan. I'll get into that in a little bit. Ball Their workplace, they've been practicing diversity inclusion for years. Other major companies just talk about it as an idealism. At Ball, it's for real. Their culture of belonging has been noticed by the Human Rights Campaign. They have a corporate equality index score of 100%. So objectively, your background, whatever that may be, will not prevent you from from succeeding there. It's just about your hard work and commitment. You if you work at Ball, there are lots of groups to join to represent your unique background. If you want to meet people, reach new career heights, get support. Ball supports groups like the Society of Women Engineers and many, many others. Ball has been unstoppable. They are unstoppable. And if you want to work there, check out the opportunities that they have in Golden. Text GOLDEN to 77222 and you'll be linked to open positions. You can also go directly to jobs.ball.com and search for GOLDEN. That's jobs.ball.com. Search for Golden or simply text Golden to 77222 and you can go be unstoppable at Ball. But if you're going to be unstoppable, you need a little energy, right? You can get energy from protein, from beef, damn good beef, blue-collar Wagyu beef from our friends over at Hassle Cattle Company. If you want to have some of that Hassle Cattle Company beef, come on down to the DMVR bar. You can get the Hassle Cattle Company Wagyu beef burger. Get all the toppings you want. But I think you'll find that it's such a good, high-quality burger that you're just going to want slice of tomato, slice of, slice of raw onion, some lettuce, 
maybe some cheese, a little drizzle of ketchup and mustard and be good to go and really taste the flavor of that Wagyu beef. They're also offering you, the DNVR listener, a buy three, get one free deal on their flank steaks. These steaks are lean and very flavorful and delicious. They should be thinly sliced against the grain when carving. They're great for marinating. I like to use them for carne asada. They're super affordable, $9.99 each. And now you can buy three and get one free. So effectively, you can buy three, get one free. So instead of $9.99, a flank steak, it's basically a little under $7.50, a flank steak with that buy three, get one free deal. So use that code DNVR flank at checkout. It's D-N-V-R-F-L-A-N-K at checkout and buy three, get one free. Also, don't forget the magical code DNVR10 for 10% off your order. You can get smoked sausage, New York strip, beef, bacon, ground beef, Franks with no fillers, original and sweet and spicy jerky. So remember, DNVR10 for 10% off. Get that order at $200 and get free shipping. You've got room in your freezer. Don't skimp. And the best part is if you fill your freezer with beef from Hassle Cow Company, and you're figuring out what to eat one night, you can just say, hey, I've got some beef in there. I'll thaw it out. I'm good to go. And it's delicious even after it's been frozen. So check out Hassel Cattle Company. That's H-A-S-S-E-L-L cattlecompany.com. And also check out Becoming a Member of DNBR. Of course, I mentioned the, the Wagyu beef burger that we have at a DNBR bar. You're going to want a beer with that, right? Well, if you're a DNVR member, you get a big beer for the price of a small beer. If you come on down for a watch party, you're going to get extra raffle tickets. And as we get into the season, we're going to be talking about Bronco watch parties. It's going to be a great place to come and cheer on your beloved orange and blue, the DNVR bar. You can also join the DNVR Golf League if you're a DNVR member. If you missed the initial sign-up, there are more opportunities to join from week to week. You can chat in the members only discord. You can read our content. You can read my story, uh, my little column that I wrote about uh, why this hall of fame weekend coming up for the Broncos here in a couple of weeks. It's not just a celebration of Steve Atwater, John Lynch and Peyton Manning. And in many ways, it's also one more celebration of Pat Bowen. We all know what's going to happen with team ownership, whether it's going to stay in the Bowen family or not. But if, if the team is sold, this coming Hall of Fame weekend is going to kind of be an appropriate salute to Pat Boland's legacy. You can read why if you are a subscriber to DMVR. You'll also get a free DMVR shirt. You'll get weekly member deals in the DMVR locker and with our partners and the chance to join us on a live stream or podcast. So check out becoming a DMVR member today. All right, my friend. The questions continue. We've kind of gone through the quarterbacks. And I think one question I had is, is a starting quarterback for week one of next year on the roster? I think your answer is yes, based on what you said about Drew. My answer is probably no. All right. Will Aaron Rodgers be a Bronco? Uh, uh, I've got to say no, just because, like, like I picked with my heart with Drew. And, right. like, I, I was getting, like, good vibes there. It's like there's just this gut feeling it's going to happen. There is, like, a little bit of a gut feeling about Aaron Rodgers, too. But since I already went that way once, I feel like I just need to play it safe here and say, odds are he probably won't. But the thing is, I don't know what happens then. Like, because mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to play for the Packers this year. Yeah. Do I really think he's just going to sit out and they're not going to do anything about it? I'm not really sure, but I'm just going to say no. And then by the time it's, it's next year and everybody's going to be trying to trade for him, the Broncos are just going to be one of a group of teams, unlike right now where they have a pretty clear advantage. I think you put it perfectly there. I think if he is traded this year, he's a Bronco. Mm-hmm. If he is not traded this year, you just bring more teams in. And then if there's a bidding war, 
I think maybe the price becomes too rich for the Broncos' blood. The only thing that could come into play is if Aaron Rodgers says, I will only play for these teams, and that list doesn't change going into the offseason. Like if he says, all right, I'm not. I'm only going to play for Denver or Las Vegas because I want to go west. But I think if it comes down to it, if he's still on the Packers in the offseason, I think the list may end up being a little bit broader. So maybe it brings Miami into play. Maybe it brings the New York Giants into play, the New Orleans Saints with Sean Payton, mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Just more possibilities come up, and it does get into a bidding war. Right now, the Broncos' advantage is a lack of other teams uh, that are bidding and that cap space that they have as well. And, okay. and that's why the Raiders, it would take a lot of gymnastics for them to pull it off. It doesn't take many for the Broncos. So if the Broncos want Aaron Rodgers, it really needs to happen in the next three months. I agree. Totally. And three and a half, I, I should say, because the train deadline goes into November. Who leads the Broncos in receiving yardage this year? It's Cortland Sutton to me. I think he's a, he's the best receiver. I think there's a, a lot to like about Jerry Judy. And I think he eventually is going to be one of the best receivers in the league. Mm-hmm. But and Cortland Sutton's a pro bowler. And sure, he missed last year. There might be some rust. But I do think that at least this year, he's still the, the number one guy there. Especially, like, I, I know that Cortland is the one who's coming off the injury. Mm-hmm. I just am a little bit more skeptical about Jerry Judy staying healthy for 17 games than I am Sutton. Really? I am, yeah. It's just, it's just that frame and that's the mm-hmm. skinny legs. Plus, like, the speed guy. I mean, he's not, like, a true speed guy. He's not KJ Hamler. I think that brings a little bit more of, like, the hamstring type of stuff into play. I don't know. I just get bad vibes more than anything about Jerry Judy health-wise um, compared to Cortland. Okay, that's that. That's interesting. That's really not something that I I thought of. That uh, uh, the injury history on Jerry Judy is very minimal. So it is made me think. All right, makes me think. Okay, you know he may have the body type, like you mentioned, the, the kind of the, the small, the smaller legs in Cortland Sutton. But um, yeah, injury prone is not the first thing I think of with Jerry Judy. I hope you're wrong. Me too. Jerry Judy to, to be somebody that you're saying, okay, he's going to miss a few games every year. I think Jerry Judy leads him in receiving yardage. And part of it is, I think, in the end, Teddy Bridgewater is going to start more games in Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. And if Bridgewater is starting more games, I believe he will develop chemistry at Portland Sutton if he ends up uh, uh, starting a bunch of games. But the type of quarterback that Bridgewater is, he's a touch and placement guy. I think his style fits Jerry Judy's strengths more than Cortland Sutton's. Sutton will have some big plays, no doubt. But if Bridgewater's starting a majority of the games, I think Judy ends up leading the team in receiving yardage. Yeah, I think that that – I totally agree that that's how things mm. should go. I think I just expect Drew to take over a little yeah. bit sooner. All right. On the schedule, which game do you guarantee that they'll win? You're taking the Broncos in a survivor pool. Mm. <sighs> so let's see. Week one, is that the Jaguars? Week two and is the Jaguars. Week one is the Giants. Week one's the Giants. Which one's at home? Jaguars are at home? No, neither. They're not at home until week three, the New York football Jets. Okay. Well, I'm taking I'm taking the home opener against the Jets. Um, I feel like home opener is just like a safe bet with the Broncos that – that has kind of changed the last couple of years. Yeah, they're over two like, with Vic Fangio home openers. Of course, yeah. that being said, 
One was against the Bears coming off of a division title season. One was against the Titans coming off playing the AFC championship game. It's definitely more benign. I think the two that jumped to mind that I would guarantee they'd win, they're both home, and it's the Jets game in week three, and then you get in December when they have the Detroit Lions at home. Yeah, that's a good one too. I think, I, I mean, I think the Jets number one to me, just because that's a combination of mm-hmm. potentially in my mind, the worst team in the league. I think they're going to be right in there at the very least, especially with Zach Wilson, at quarterback that more yeah. than anything, like they have a couple pieces on the roster for sure, but I just don't see it with him as a rookie. Um, and then uh, after that, it's kind of a toss up between mm-hmm. the Jags, the giants and the lions the fact that, that Lions game is at home, though, I think you're probably right to choose mm. that one over the other two. Generally speaking, you're not choosing road games in yep. Survivor Pool unless you're kind of put up against the wall, and, and that's the option that you have. In Detroit, I'm less certain about that than the Jets, so if you give me one choice, I would say the Jets. The thing with Detroit is if Aaron Rodgers never reports to the Packers, it kind, it, it kind of turns the NFC North upside down. And it wouldn't surprise me if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play down for the Packers this year. Minnesota does become the favorite, but Jared Goff's going to a place where the general manager, Brad Holmes, really believes in him. I think, you know, obviously they traded Matthew Stafford and they got Jared Goff back. And part of the reason why that was such a a desired trade package for the Lions was that they got back quarterback who their GM probably still believes can be a long-term guy. Brad Holmes was part of picking Jared Goff with the Rams. So mm-hmm. that's why it's kind of interesting. You're going to get him out of, Sh- of Sean McVay's system. So really going to learn a lot about Jared Goff and who and what he is, but he is going to a place where they believe in him. And Anthony Lynn running the offense, I don't think he's going to lean heavily on Jared Goff. I think he's going to try to protect him, try to build up the running game and try to kind of uh, – have a, a a slow and steady offense, but slow and steady. If it, if they can get fewer mistakes from Jared Goff, they made last year might be enough to keep them in it for a while. I agree with that. I do think that there's a path. I mean, the teams in that division, mm-hmm. the, the Vikings, you could absolutely, even if the Vikings are a good team next year, you could see them blowing games to teams like the lions. Like absolutely. that just feels like their MO. Um, well, Minnesota's Browns, defense is horrible. Or the Bears, yeah. Minnesota's Seriously. defense is horrible, and that and that just it lends itself to games like they had last year, where that you know it was Gary Kubiak's offense last year. It's uh, Clint Kubiak's offense this year. They're going to put up a bunch of points, but it wasn't enough. Yep, the Bears I think have a really good chance to be a really really bad football team. I think there's okay. another path where there's even like like. Justin Fields gets hot late in the year and they Mm -hmm. sneak into the playoffs somehow, but I just don't like what I see there. So I do agree that the Lions might have a path. It's just that when you look at the roster, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, Jared Goff can game manage to Brashad Perryman, Tyrell Williams, Amonra St. Brown is a rookie is probably going to be really involved. And those Mm -hmm. running backs, it's like Deandre Swift, Jamal Williams, uh, Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State. Mm-hmm. One of those guys is probably pretty solid. They just don't have anything, at least to me, that you point to and say, that's going to win them a few games here and there. Yeah. 
they're kind of going to be reliant on other teams falling apart while they play clean football, I think is kind of their path. I mean, really, their best their best offensive weapon is TJ Hawkinson. Right. Yeah, that is true. I mean, obviously, you know, Brashad Perryman brings speed. He hasn't been particularly reliable, although the last couple of years uh, with Tampa Bay and then with the Jets last year hasn't been used frequently, but he's a guy who's going to average 17 yards a catch. So he does have mm-hmm. some str- some vertical stretch to field ability to him, but you're counting on guys making like a huge step up. They, you know, of course they lose, they lose Kenny Galladay. Um, yeah. And Marvin last Jones year, last year and Marvin Jones. I know one guy that they're really high on is uh Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin, yeah. who probably would have been a much higher pick than a fifth round uh, pick. If he had not, ha- if he had not had sexual assault charges that were float that were floating over him and he had to kind of, he basically stopped playing football for a year. As a result, he was a, he was acquitted and then went back, but, was was cleared to play uh, for for Wisconsin and then got drafted last year in the fifth round. But he's he's a pretty reliable receiver that I think could be able to kind of step up and be a trustworthy option. So I don't start saying, okay, if Cephas builds on what he was late last year, if Brashad Perryman can can stretch the field, can stretch the field vertically, if uh, you know. If, if Geronimo Allison can find a little bit more as they bring him in as well, and then you have TJ Hawkinson, it's they have some pieces, but they're relying on projection. They're also relying, I think, on Penny Sewell and that offensive line to keep Jared Goff upright. That's why I say this is going to be kind of a slow and steady team yep. if they find success. But if they limit turnovers and they get enough get enough of a pass rush, they have the ability to surprise some people not i mean it's good if they and again if aaron Rodgers is out of the nfc north then it's wide open who knows maybe 10 and 7 does get them in the playoffs and maybe that game in december for the broncos is a lot tougher because the lions are hanging around so like i said earlier every year there's a game that is easier than you expect and is tougher than you expect I, just, I wouldn't close my mind on the Lions game being tougher than anybody expects. Yeah, so. I, I agree. Here's a quick question to wrap that up. More likely, Lions get a top three pick or they make the playoffs? Uh, make the playoffs because I think they're going to do just Perfect. enough to win like six, five or six games, even if things fall apart. I don't – like the Bears, you say, there's a team where everything could fall apart. Yep. Um. The Lions, I think part part of it is also you've got a you've got a new coach. It's a pretty it's it's a fascinating staff because you have like some old some old veteran hands like Anthony Lynn is the offensive coordinator. You have Dom Capers, who's not the defensive coordinator, but he's their senior defensive assistant. And basically he's guiding Aaron Glenn as Glenn runs the defense. There's but there, you know, there there are some names you recognize on this staff. Like Dan Campbell wanted a lot of guys who were former who were former players. So you see Aaron Glenn, you see Antoine Randall L coaching wide receivers, Mark Brunel coaching quarterbacks. Deuce Staley is the assistant head coach. There, it's kind of a that's kind of the boomer bust part of it. But if that staff reaches sure. these players, I think they're going to be more than people expect them to be. Okay, I like this. I like what they're trying to put together now much better than when they were trying to do Patriots two 
I agree with that for sure. This, I think, means that you're going to... What I see from the Lions is being a team that is not great, but at minimum is competitive and competitive and feisty and motivated. And that's the kind of team that even if they're struggling, if you're trying to go for the playoffs, you can't overlook this team when you play them in December. So that's right. And that's why like a couple of years ago, the lions that came with David Blau, they were limping. They had Matt Patricia as coach. Nobody was happy. I think this team's going to be happy. I think this team's going to be engaged. So which game do you guarantee the Broncos will lose? You're picking against the Broncos in your survival pool. Yes. So I think, I think the easy answer is uh, the, the road chiefs game. I think that's gotta be where mine goes first. Yeah. I'm going to give it just two seconds more thought though, just because the Broncos have built this team specifically to beat the chiefs. Now Mm -hmm. I don't, think that that's quite enough for me to choose another game you know the Steelers aren't going to do it I think the Browns are kind of overrated just looking through the schedule there isn't much else that could really jump out in my mind so I'm going to take that game anyway but with the caveat you know if there's a team you want too many DBs against a team where you want Ronald Darby who's kind of hit or miss but really fast that plays so well against the Chiefs I, I do think, though, that that has to be the, the one you choose. There's a theory that I think has some validity that when you face a team twice a year, it narrows the gap in terms of when you play them. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, there are times that go against it, like that game in October last year where the Chiefs just, you know, they get, you know, they get a touchdown on a kickoff return, they get a touchdown off of a pick six, and they – and then they destroy the Broncos. But a lot of times teams that are division rivals, even if a lot separates them in the standings, you see games like the one they play in December where the, the lesser team knows the opponent well. They know how to counteract them. One thing that is interesting is that in the Vic Fangio era, you look and say, okay, Chiefs offense alone. Vic Fangio has held the Chiefs offense to under 30 points every time they've done battle in the last two seasons. And okay, yeah, like they, the offense accounts for 29 points last year in October and um, accounts for, I believe, 23 points in the game back in October 2019, that infamous Thursday night game. Well, that's a lot better than people, than most people do against the Chiefs. So, there's the chance, and I, I, that's why I'm kind of with you there. I'm not going to say it's uh-huh. Chiefs game. I think probably more of the Cleveland Browns than you. Okay. I think the Browns are going to win that division. Huh. I think Kevin Stefanski <laughs> and Baker Mayfield, they're a good match. The defense should be better this year. I don't think the offense is going anywhere. Just so many weapons and down, down to the running game as well, uh, where they go – too deep with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They can trust both of them. And it's a Thursday night game on the road. Crowd's going to be energized. I'm going to say it's that Thursday night game against Cleveland on October 21st. That's the one that the Broncos lose. The It's not like the Browns have a huge game and there's a chance for a letdown the week before. 
the Sunday before they play Arizona at home. Cardinals are an interesting team, but it's not like, oh, they could have an emotional win over Pittsburgh and then be due for a letdown Thursday night. Mm -hmm. That's not the case here. That would have been great to see, but you don't get that advantage here if you're the Broncos. That one, I think, is gonna, it's going to be tough sledding when they go on, on the lakefront. Yeah, that's fair. I think uh, the big reason I'm kind of down on the Browns mm-hmm. is what they were like 11 and five last year. Yes. But you look at the wins and there's just not that much to get excited about. You know, they, they beat Pittsburgh back to back times at the end of the season going into the playoffs. That Steelers team wasn't all that good. I think the other wins you point to are I think they got the Colts and they got the Titans. But outside of that, it's like they, they beat Cincinnati twice. They beat the Giants. They, they beat the Eagles and the Cowboys. Uh, lost to the Ravens twice. Like they're, I think that they got, they got a, they got a good schedule last year. Um, but we'll see how things play out this year. And I mean, you look at them with a young quarterback, a good running game, some receivers you're excited about, even if like, again, like Odell Beckham is somebody I look at and say a little bit overrated. Um, Jarvis Landry at this point in his career, definitely like a good group of weapons but a group that I think has uh, across the board for that team, even if they're good players, mm-hmm. the names are just a little bit bigger than what they are as football players. I think that combined with the fact that you look through the results and it's just like, wait, they didn't beat a, a fourth team over 500. That's at least concerning to me when you're comparing them to the, to the chiefs and the bills and the other teams at the top of the AFC. That's fair. Now the thing is, yeah, it was helped out by having Patrick Mahomes get hurt, but they were hanging. They were hanging in there against the Chiefs before Mahomes got hurt in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then uh, had a near had a near miss on the road. Now, different mm-hmm. uh, a different environment. You only had 17,000 fans there, but uh, I think this team is on the ri- is is on the rise. I think they'll get a boost yeah. from playing uh, from from having fans back in because the fans didn't really get to enjoy that season they had last year. You have Odell Beckham Jr., kind of like Cortland Sutton. He may not be back to being himself, but remember, they played the last half of the season without OBJ. Mm-hmm. It's a team that is it's blessed, it's blessed with weapons. And kind of looking at, at what they are, I think they'll start 0-1 because they play at Kansas City in week one, and I think they'll lose that game. But then I start looking and seeing Houston, Chicago, at Minnesota, at the Chargers, Arizona. That that looks like a five game winning streak, which means that they're as uh, as Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash used to sing. They're going to be hop, hotter than a pepper sprout when they come in to that Bronco game on Thursday night football, and uh, they're going they're going to be ready. It's gonna it's going to be a tough one, I think, for the Broncos to win in Cleveland. Yep, you're you're probably right. Again, though, okay. We'll see. Here's my question. I hope you're you, right. I, I, I hope, hope so too. But if you were to pick one of those, like top AFC teams from last year, who do right. you think falls off? Like just, but we're talking like Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Kansas city, Buffalo, right? Yeah. I mean, out of that group, it's probably Pittsburgh. I bet Pittsburgh's that. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is Pittsburgh, I think they could have a, a, a tough season, but with Mike Tomlin there, I think they, they're only, but so bad. Like, Yep. Roethlisberger, I think, is hitting the wall right now. Mm-hmm. But they did manage to get Juju Smith-Schuster back on a one-year deal. They're, they're still deep at wide receiver with him, Chase Claypool. 
I look at the I look at Pittsburgh and I think, all right, things go sideways the way they did late last year. They should still find a way to win seven to nine games, even if they're struggling. That's just kind of the, the Pittsburgh, the, the Pittsburgh MO. I mean, yep. So, and the other thing is looking down the stretch when they did lose five of the last six, including playoff game, including the playoff loss to Cleveland, they lose to Washington, which had a lot of momentum late. They lose at Buffalo. They lose to Cincinnati. They lose to the Colts. They lose to the Browns twice. So I'm thinking, all right, that's also a really damn tough run in <laughs> at the end of the year because it's five of six games against playoff teams. The Bengal game jumps out like, what the hell happened there? Yep. But then they turn around and they did rebound to beat the Colts next week. So maybe I don't think the Steelers are a Super Bowl contender but I also don't think this team is going to be scuffling around and winning only three to five games. I definitely agree with that. So, and that's, and that's why I still don't think the Broncos win in Pittsburgh when they go, when they go play there in October of, of this year, will the Bowen family still control the Broncos one year from now? Wow. So if you were to ask, does the trust still control the Broncos? I would say, no, they don't. But when I have to decide, is it going to Brittany or is it going to somebody else? Mm-hmm. That makes this question a lot tougher. I'm going to say the team gets sold. Um, yeah. I think it, it's a tough decision. Um, I think that it's pretty close to 50-50. But there's just so much working against Brittany Bolin at this point, including like dumb things like she's young. She's a woman. Those two things have made it really hard to be an NFL owner in the history of the NFL. And so when you're going up against those barriers, you gotta, you gotta say the barriers are the favorite in that matchup. And so I'm going to say they do get sold. Well, fortunately, I think we're, we're in a more enlightened environment now. So I don't think, I don't think Brittany's uh, gender is going to work against her here. And she certainly is putting in the work in terms of, working at being a high level executive within the, within the organization, having a lot of responsibility on her plate. Of course, last year she was the point person on all things COVID mm-hmm. which, uh, is hasn't, hasn't quite gone away. There's still a lot to kind of focus on uh, mm-hmm. even though we're getting back to full capacity uh, in the, in the coming weeks here when things open back up at the stadium and for, and really starting with training camp here uh, back with full capacity for fans on the hillside. But the things that work against her are Okay. Does the family has the family gotten behind her? Joe Ellis, you know, has said in the past, all the family, all the siblings need to be behind her. The potential for estate tax issues uh, at the point where the the Bowling children inherit the team. Are they going to be able to cover that based on what the net worth of the team is going to be assessed at? So I think there are issues that just may be too much to overcome here. And then there's the, the, there's the notion that, okay, what if somebody is out there just willing to write a break the bank check? I, it's not going to happen tomorrow because now as we've uh, been reading about in recent days, you still have that Edgar Kaiser or the state of Edgar Kaiser, pardon me, lawsuit that is about to go to trial. So nothing can really happen until you have resolution there. But I do expect a year from now that there will be a, 
a different there, there will be a different group in control of the Broncos or person in control of the Broncos. And on, unfortunately, because I think there's a lot of sentimental value to keeping the team in the Bowen family, and I think Brittany has done a tremendous job in terms of in, in terms of uh, of learning about the organization. I mean, I love the fact that she went to the NFL and worked for a while and got learn about things from a league a league level. Uh, she's she's leaned on some very smart, very wise people to get a feel for the, the landscape. She's she's very smart. She she has terrific aptitude uh, for for the job. I. But that being said, if she did inherit the team and she did become the, the, the managing partner, I wouldn't expect her to be Pat Bowen because that's a really, really high standard to achieve. And I don't think you can, it's fair to expect that from anybody. But I just think some of the issues that kind of go beyond, like including the estate tax issue, mm-hmm. are, are, going to, are going to put a spanner in the works here. And if... If you have somebody like a Jeff Bezos who can who may write a check of five or six billion and just kind of blow blow everybody out of the water, that's I think that's where this thing might head. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And I think that if like as a Broncos fan, as somebody who wants what's best for the team, mm-hmm. I, I do think that Brittany in charge is one of the better outcomes for the Broncos in terms of like the product that they will put on the field. Right. I think what could win me away from that is somebody like a Jeff Bezos who just says, I'm going to funnel a bunch of money into this. And by doing that, I think that that is probably a a really good thing for the team. If it's just like some random new owner who we don't really know much about and he's coming in, then I'm I'm not quite so sure. But if it's somebody who's going to throw five ten billion dollars just to get the team and then from there build a super stadium and whatever else i I think that there's something to be said for that yeah i I agree and i think that the other thing that comes into play is is you say that super stadium well if it's somebody with a massive net worth they're not going to need as much in terms of public funding they may now they may ask for something but i think it's going to be kind of a, 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 gen, a gentle rebuff, but I do wonder if you talk about an owner like that, if that means whether they build, whether, whether they build on this on the spot that they're at right now and develop that land or develop land somewhere else. Certainly, somebody in the mega billionaire class is going to be able to kind of write the check and uh, and view that as as an as a significant investment and uh, put more and put more into it and maybe put less of the burden on the taxpayers as well. And so that's, that's what I'm, that's kind of how I view it as well, that the more an owner has in terms of, of capital, the less they necessarily need from, from, from the taxpaying public. I mean, we kind of see that with some, with some teams, for example, like, uh, like the Tampa Bay lightning developing a district uh, down in Tampa and a lot of the, and almost all of that's on their own dime. So, yeah. There, there are there are possibilities that uh, kind of develop. Before we move on to the user comments, the listener, I hate you. That's terrible. That's a terrible word. The <laughs> listener, before we hear from the people, I want to tell you first about Illegal Pete's. They're back with us. We're pumped to have them on board again. The pandemic shut down a lot of restaurants. Illegal Pete's was one of them for a while, but they've been back for a while. We couldn't be happier to promote them. I couldn't be happier to tell you about them because I love that Baja fish burrito. There's a location not too far from me here in DTC that uh, I'd love to stop by. By the way, one night when I uh, stopped to pick up dinner over there, saw 
a fellow Broncos reporter, Jeff Legwold, also enjoying some illegal Pete's uh, one night. So we're not the only people in media around here who love our illegal Pete's. They've got the location in Lodo, bigger indoor and outdoor space. That Wazi in 16th, it's close to Ball Arena and Coors Field. They've got their sound check promotion going on at all locations. Gives you a free draft beer or house mark with the purchase of an adult, adult entree when you show a same-day ticket to any event. So, for example, you go to a Rockies game, show your ticket, and guess what? You can get a free draft beer or house mark with the purchase of an entree. All locations have breakfast until 1 p.m. from Friday to Sunday, and their Lodo location actually serves breakfast every day. That breakfast means breakfast burritos, tacos, bowls, and breakfast quesadillas and nachos. They also have chorizo, their own proprietary blend, and bacon crumbles as the, as the breakfast meats. They got happy hour at all locations from 3 to 6 every day, dollar off all drafts, dollar off house and coin-style margaritas, $20 for those party margs, dollar off large chips and queso and large chips and guac, plus free chips and salsa if you drink at the bar. And guess what? They pay their employees a living wage. They care about their staff. Their staff is paid 15 bucks an hour starting, plus tips, then free food and drink on the shift, discounted off-duty food off-shift. They also have 401k match, pay time off for all employees, and an option for health insurance for full-time employees. So if you patronize Illegal Pete's, you patronize a place that is supportive of it's staff. Check out Illegal Pete's. They've got locations all over the front range. And hey, if you want to eat like me, have the Baja fish burrito. Hank, what's your go-to at Illegal Pete's? It's a good question. Uh, probably just anything that's smothered in the green chili. Ooh. Like, like I can kind of sub in or out what's actually in the burrito mm-hmm. as long as there's uh, the green chili on top. Excellent choice. You wouldn't be a true Denver establishment especially during during burritos if you didn't have great green chili and they've got great green chili at illegal pete's also speaking of things in the denver area tell you about solace meds a premier dispensary with some hot deals to offer solace meds has four convenient colorado locations in fort collins queet ridge one off broadway and one on east colfax just blocks away from the dmvr bar here are the deals they've got this month wild night and day gummies big one 50 percent off all wana 25 percent off all odot pen cured Rosin cartridges are 20% off. You get 20% off all green dot concentrates, 20, 20% off one to 11 rosin cones. And you get a 10 cent pre-roll or 10 milligram edible when you spend 50 bucks. And if you head on over there, Wheat Ridge location, you get a free solace bar or king cone when you mention the code as well. It's the Wheat Ridge location of solace meds. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just waiting for it. Oh, Creech Ridge. Creech Ridge. Get on in and make sure the DMVR 20 code to get 20% off and at the Creech Ridge location, a free solace bar or king code. Remember, all of these deals at every location, you'll get, you, you get 20% off with the code DMVR20. It's just at Creech Ridge, you get that little extra with the free solace bar or king code. They're going to make your canvas shopping experience a delight head on over to their website at solacemeds.com that's s-o-l-a-c-e meds.com order online and pick up from your nearest location at your convenience and don't forget that code dmvr20 because then you'll get 20 percent off your entire purchase and they will know that your friends at dnvr sent you also really quick tell you about strava craft coffee our longest and most loyal partner to date they haven't felt the love lately, so we're going to change that by amping up the code. You know about the DNVR20 code at Strava for 20% off. Well, now it's up to DNVR25, 25% off your first order. If you want to try it, maybe you've had the DNVR bar, you've had that cold brew that's there, and you like it, you want a little more, use that code DNVR25 for the one-time 25% savings. 
If you find you like what you're getting from Strava Craft Coffee, you can subscribe. And if you do, you'll get Strava Craft Coffee delivered to you every two, four, six, eight weeks, every 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 26 weeks, whatever. You can schedule whatever you want and get 20% off your CBD infused coffee every time your order. If you never tried the rich CBD infused Strava Craft Coffee, you should. It'll help with chronic headaches, joint pains, IBS, and so much more. You'll have no coffee jitters if you want three or four cups a day. So check out Strava Craft Coffee. Let us know when you do. Tag them. Let, let them know that our community can support you. If you want to subscribe, 20% off any product. If you just want the one time 25% off, use that code DNBR25 for our friends over at Strava Craft Coffee. Let's talk to the people. We're kind of winding down the offseason, still in offseason mode. So only three comments today. You know what? In the offseason, it actually doesn't bother me if there are only three comments because, <laughs> <laughs> because we're trying to savor all the time that we can right now. We're going to start with Count Locula. Ooh, and it kind of goes down to the colleges. Okay, you each get to relegate five colleges down to a lower league. What schools are deserving of your ire and why? Love the count. Wow, that's a good one. Promotion um, relegation for college for college sports would be a blast. It would be crazy. It'll never happen because of the money involved, but it'd be a blast. It, yeah, I'm trying like practically you'd almost have to set it up at like a conference level. So there's almost yes. like an SEC, a SEC B because mm-hmm. you can't kick them from like SEC down to the Mac or something because that just doesn't work. Unless there's an SEC Mac partnership somehow. Maybe what it is, is let's say like the top, let's say the top level we're going to, maybe we'll do it like England. We'll have four tiers here. Okay. So the, maybe like the SEC and the big 10 are, like the Premier League, right? Okay. The Pac-12, Big 12, ACC are, um, even though it's kind of weird to say it's about the ACC because they have Clemson, um, are kind of the second tier. The third tier is the American and the uh, and the Mountain West. And the fourth tier is Conference USA, the Fun Belt, Sun Belt, and the home of Maction midweek, the Mac, the MAC Conference. Uh-huh. Right. I, I like that. I like that. All right. I'll tell you once there's one that jumps out that I say, okay, they need, they need to go down from their level. We're going to start at the top level. And this is kind of based on multiple years as well. Vanderbilt, you're going down. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Because Rutgers, there's a bunch of, yeah. Rutgers, you're going down. Wow. Yeah. Those are two good ones right off the bat. The, the problem is there's schools like, like Kansas, where it's like in football, absolutely need to be relegated. But the basketball program is so good that I don't think you can include them in that relegation. Okay, are um, we just doing football then or are we doing all sports? I, I think it's got to be all sports. But but again, it's the way that they would look right. at it where it's like 70% football, 20% men's basketball, right. 10% everything else. Um, wow. I'm trying to think. Because see, like in the Pac-12, Arizona – doesn't work because of the basketball piece. I think you look to Oregon state, mm-hmm. even though they're coming off that basketball run, just haven't been able to do much football wise and basketball wise. That was kind of a fluke. So I'll probably throw them out there. You know what? It's funny. You make Oregon state. Cause I thought about Washington state. 
That's, and, the yeah. th- and the thing that popped in my mind is this in the ACC, Notre Dame, except for last year, is a member for everything but football. So <laughs> I'm looking at the Pac 12 and thinking, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relegate Washington State. I'm going to pull up Gonzaga and put <sighs> them in the Pac 12 for everything but football because, of course, they don't play football. Yep. That's a good one. And, and they're basically going to be the Pac-12's Notre Dame. Yeah. Right and down to being Catholic to that Because they love having all the money that they get right, by just getting all their earnings from the NCAA tournament to themselves over there. Yeah. But, uh, let's see. What's another? Um, looking at the Big 12, maybe TCU. Yeah. The football program has been solid-ish. But yeah, I feel like at least looking at the bottom of the Big 12, TCU is probably the one that has to go. Maybe mm-hmm. Kansas State, but put TCU. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be TCU or K-State. You couldn't say Texas Tech because of what they just did in basketball. Exactly. And, of course, they gave you Patrick Mahomes. Of course, Texas Tech, they lose their coach to another Big 12 school, at least for now, in basketball, because Chris Beard goes and takes the Texas job. Uh-huh. So. There, there's clearly tears within the Big 12 because you have one coach staying in the conference. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought, like, Baylor, you wouldn't knock down. I mean, I nope. don't like Baylor for a lot of reasons. I mean, considering the things that they've covered up over the years at Baylor. Yeah. I, I think the world would have been a much better place if back in the mid-1990s when the Big 12 was formed, it was not Baylor that was in the Big 12, but the University of Houston. Houston, I, I think that's good. Yeah. Houston should be up a level from where they are. Now, um, basketball wise, Baylor has been really, really good. And right. Houston's been good too, just not quite up to the Baylor standards. And that's why Baylor didn't get in the conversation for me. Right. I mean, look, I mean, Baylor is, they're the national champions. I mean, and they just had some, they've, they've been really good twice in football. I just kind of, I just hate all this, yeah. that the fact that you've had two just incredibly awful scandals and cover-ups at Baylor in the last two decades. I mean, yeah. just, you know, but you had, you know, of course in the basketball program when Dave Bliss was coaching, and then uh, you had uh, the systemic uh, cover-up of sexual assaults there. Just, I mean, if, if it were up to me, Baylor would have gotten the death penalty at some point, but yeah. I am, yeah. I, I'm from the old school. I would have given Penn State the death penalty in football. I think so. I mean, for, there has for, to be for a few right? Yeah. I think one of the interesting things, and this here's a tangent, um, but the, <laughs> I was listening to SEC Media Day. The commissioner was saying, you know, we get so caught up in giving all these super harsh punishments. What we really need to do is get timely punishments. Yeah. You know, the FBI, all the arrests in the basketball scandal, <laughs> those were made in 2017 and still nothing has come from it. And right. so he was, I thought this was a good point is just say, we need to get this out quickly, whether it's a one year later, it has to be done two years later, it has to be done and say, Hey, we might not have all the information. So maybe we don't hit them as hard. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's politics and all that, but I thought that that was kind of a, a good point. Yeah. I, I, you could, it's outside the SEC as well. I mean, like Louisville, same thing, a, AKA university six. As yes. A- <laughs> yes. I think, uh, <laughs> Oh. Another uh, another one that you knocked down, Nebraska. 
They Ooh. have been so bad in every sport except for I think volleyball. What, yes, volleyball. Volleyball, women's volleyball. They are a power. Yep, mm. and also in bowling. But bowling, I didn't know that, that. Wow. Yeah, no, basketball team is terrible. The football team has been terrible. Like the reason you don't do it is just because there's so many people who care about Nebraska, but they're also really bad at sports. So that seems like that was a cancel out at the very least. Well, the interesting thing there is even though their, their, their football program has so much tradition now, they Mm -hmm. just can't get moving on a consistent basis. And kind of the institutional advantages that Nebraska used to have back in the day uh, are gone. I mean, they Mm -hmm. back, back in the uh, eighties and nineties, you know, they, when they're they're running the option under Tom Osborne and they basically could say, okay, we're recruiting a different type of player here. And they had the whole thing going on where they developed their offensive linemen. They, they were what Wisconsin is now when it can, when it comes to the offensive line, you bring the guy, you bring the kids in off the farms, maybe you, you, you reg shirt them, you get them in the weight room. Some of them are non-scholarship. Some of them are scholarship. They kind of earn their way up and then, by the time they're red shirt juniors and seniors, there's these 315 pound behemoths that are just rolling over everybody. And then you've got these uh, th- these skill players that are sued to the option. Like, you know, they get Tommy Frazier, for example, out of uh, Bradenton, Florida. And the reason he goes to Nebraska is because nobody in the state of Florida would was running anywhere close to the type of offense that would have worked for Tommy Frazier. Well, now mm-hmm. Nebraska, they're, they're not, they don't have these differential advantages anymore. And, even though I, I think Scott Frost is a really good coach and the evidence is there just from what he did at UCF, turning a team that had gone winless into one that was legitimately, I don't, I hate the thing about, Oh, we were national champions. No, you weren't the collie matrix. Come on. <laughs> don't give me that crap. That's garbage, but it doesn't, but was UCF one of the three best teams in 2017 in the country? Absolutely. They were, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, I, w- I wish they would have had them play for the national title. I think that would have been fun to watch. Yep. And, and to see if they, if they would have done well with that shot. So what I think will happen is Nebraska reluctantly will move on from Scott Frost. And I say reluctantly because he's a beloved alum. And then he's going to go somewhere else and he's going to win. Uh-huh. And yeah. we're going to realize the problem is Nebraska, not Scott Frost. Interesting. And, and I think there could be something to that, mostly because his next opportunity is going to be low end G five school or something around there. I think that the Scott, Scott Frost brand of football and the name and mm-hmm. saying, I'm coming from Nebraska, I've done all this might just carry a little bit more weight at, at that sort of school than it does at the power five level, the right. big 10 level. The other thing is if the playoff expands, mm-hmm. that means you're almost certainly going to see a group of five school in there every year. Yep. And what that does is even though maybe the power five can still offer more money, you may have a better chance for success and have a better job. If you are at one of those group of five schools where they've shown they can be perennial top, top 15, top 20, like for UCF, for example, Cincinnati, Houston, Boise, USF, even though they're down right now, they've it's you don't have to go very far back to look at them kicking around the top 15, close to the top 10, uh, back in 2016 and 2017. Mm-hmm. Schools that have proven that if you have the right coaches in place, 
the right program in place, you can win. I would argue it's much, it's actually easier to win at places like those. And these are better jobs than lower end, lower end of the conference power five jobs. Like I, I think mm-hmm. you've got a better chance to win and do something big at USF than Syracuse in football. Yeah. At USF so. than Kansas. Again, USF's a good example because they're down at the moment, but they've had these long stretches where they're really good. What USF does usually is predicate on how good their coach is. Yeah. And UCF's I, I, kind of yeah. the same way because you don't have to go back far back for UCF to see when they were 0-12, but look what they've been the last four or five years. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And like you said, the way a college football playoffs supposedly going, as long as like they don't hit the roadblocks, the highest or the top six highest ranked conference champions getting in. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you be trying to get that number six spot if you are one of those schools? Especially because you know, five and six, especially with the way the Big 12 is going, mm-hmm. those could be up for grabs. You know, last year I think the Pac 12 champion would have been number seven. Yeah. You would have had two g5 schools in at the very least last year which admittedly was a weird year also i'll throw this out there uh akron you know for maybe not just talking power five schools down to g5 Uh but akron from g5 down to like the fcs level yeah those who who else is in there like uh you look at that well you look at the mac like ball state has Mm-hmm. They, they've now they've gotten better in football recently. So, but like over the ball state usually is, is a bottom feeder. Kent state is a bot is usually a bottom feeder in the Mac. You go through, like you go into like the, the mountain West and the American, for example, and you have some schools that they haven't shown that they can, that they can be a top 25 program. Like in the American, We've seen it in, in the last at some point in the last several years. We've seen it from Cincinnati, Temple, USF, UCF, Houston, SMU, Memphis. But we mm-hmm. haven't seen it from Tulane. We mm-hmm. we haven't seen it from East Carolina. Mm-hmm. So you'd look at like those schools and say, okay, those are the ones you're talking about da- about kind of dropping down a level. Then the flip side is well, at the at, who could go up? Well, I mentioned some of the schools uh, from the American. Um, who could? Who would be a better fit in the American than a Tulane? Well, something like an App State. That yeah, is, that has proven over the years that they're a successful program. North uh, Dakota State is the one oh, that everybody throws around. North Dakota Montana is another. James Madison. Yep. James Ma- Yeah, James Madison could probably be better right out of the blocks than most of the group of five. And I'd say the same for North Dakota state. And even though Montana has been a a bit down the last few Mm -hmm. years relative to what they've been, we've seen that they can be incredibly successful. Although it's funny how many schools moved up from FCS to uh, higher level. Like Montana would have been like, okay, yeah, they make sense, but they've resisted all opportunities to move up. There's no reason for them to. They're happy being the big fish in a small pond. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I think so. The year I was covering Montana, uh, that was the year Idaho came back from FBS and right. rejoined the Big Sky. And Montana played Idaho. I think they beat them like forty-five to ten or something like that on the road. It's like, yeah, that was the team you guys thought should be an FBS school. No, no, no. That's not. That's that's not close. 
Yeah, it's funny. Like, why Idaho moved up again? <laughs> Montana has just been a better a better program. Yeah, consistently. Yeah, and like like you said, like they've been down for what five years, maybe even ten years, if you want to say. It. But down means they missed the 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 playoffs like once or twice. They've had one losing season in those down years. Yeah, yeah. And now they're back on the upswing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, honestly, the, the big problem is they just lost Samari Toure, their best receiver, to yeah. Nebraska. And now all the reports out of Nebraska spring balls that he's been their, their stud on offense. It's like, yeah, of course he has. Yeah. He was breaking Jerry Rice's receiving records at Montana the last couple <laughs> of years. Well, the other thing, you got Bobby Houck back there as well. And yeah. Now that he, you know, and, and this is kind of another thing. He, ta- he goes to UNLV. UNLV mm-hmm. is a horrible job. <laughs> it's sort of like it's it's like if you mm-hmm. went from USF or UCF to Kansas, all right? Kansas is a horrible job. Yeah. Just because you're moving up from the group of five to power five doesn't mean that you've gotten a better job. And it, mm-hmm. just because you move up from FCS to the group of five doesn't mean that you've got a better job. I mean now helps kind of yeah. he's tasted he's tasted at fbs he'll probably coach out his entire career at montana if they keep him and based on the direction the program is going it seems like the grizz is going to be back to contending for the national titles again very short absolutely and you know the reason that bobby left and part of it is you know you want to see what you can do at the power five level but also they were setting like arrest records and huh. there were some pretty sim- serious charges and he happened to get out right before that bill came due and it kind of just uh they, they brought in basically a, a stopgap who had to take the fall for all of that and then as soon as the community was like oh yeah this is good we just want to win at football again bobby comes right back and he does exactly that <laughs> I, you know what i really thought bob stitt would do better than he did and that's a name that a lot of people too. around here know. I, I, I love that hire when mm-hmm. they brought him in from mines and I, I thought, I thought they would win big. I mean, Bob Stitt was a guy yep. that I thought with the type of offense that he ran, I'm like, I would have loved to have seen him get a crack in the NFL. Yeah. Just, just to see if this works, but uh, that's probably not going to happen because it didn't go well for him at, at Montana, even though he never had a losing season, but that's they were not but, enough. No, you, Eight and five, six and five, and seven and four was not enough. Anyway, yeah. How, so that was our uh, our detour today. <laughs> I have. We're gonna extend that another thirty seconds. But so so Bob Stitt came in my freshman year, right? And so then the my senior year, I covered the team, and that was the first year that Bobby was back. Uh-huh. And uh, the stories that I heard from parents about Bob Stitt, yeah, were not good. Not in terms of him like being like a bad dude, but just like the general interest in football wasn't there at the level. You know, I, I think one of the players said, if I heard him talk about uh, how excited he was for golf one more time, I might've lost it. And so I think that that was a big part of the problem. It just went from like, when he first get there, everybody's like, Oh yeah. You know, he was the guy who invented the jet sweep right? and all that kind of stuff. And then by the end, it's like, I know he invented the jet sweep, but like, why are we running that every single play when we can just line up and beat these guys? And the other thing, of course, is that um, Colorado Colorado School Mines they went right they went right on winning after 
stint. Oh, did they? Too. Yes. Huh. Cause they, they brought, they, uh, they brought in, um, um, Greg Brandon who had been the head coach at, uh, Bowling Green in the mid two thousands, and he kind of kicked okay. around. I think he did. I think he did a year under uh, Jim Fossil in the old UFL, and pretty lickety split. Mines is back to winning ten games a year. I believe they went twelve and one back in twenty nineteen. So, okay, yeah, it it actually kind of doesn't say a lot if the program keeps right on humming when they replace you. So, very true. That is very true. Anyway, so. Wow, that was that was an exceptional uh, <laughs> uh, detour into FCS football, and uh, you know yep. probably the most we've ma- probably the most most we ever mentioned Bob Stitt on this podcast, even though he coached in this area for a long time. So shout out to Bob Stitt because he is a very creative mind on offense. He, is. he invented the jet sweep, invented the fly sweep, basically. So yep. and has gotten credit for that. So good, Larry Dang Jr. LDJ. Hey guys, so this is how I see the Aaron Rodgers saga playing out. Rodgers approaches management and demands one of two things. One, the Packers either trade him to the Broncos right now, get all they can, or they can renegotiate his contract so he can be a free agent come next year. I only say this because too many people are casting aspersions because Rogers is so calculated and discreet. I think he wants out, and he's only playing for them if they put in writing permanently what will happen once he retires. Also, Mace, how much competition for Rogers' rights is applicable if Rogers adamant about heading for the Broncos? Well, that's the, that's the thing. And he could next year say, I only want to go to Denver. But generally speaking, if you start kind of negotiating and saying, okay, I want to, I'll play this year, but you, you're going to trade me next year. The team will say, well, you can't just name one place. You got to name a few places here. Yeah, definitely. You got to name, say three to six, three to six teams here. Let some competition develop. Mm-hmm. But also if you're Aaron Rodgers and you say that, and you say, I'm not going to play anywhere but Denver. And then you hold firm in the way that, you know, I think a lot of people uh, in, in Aaron's position, mm-hmm. the Packers would look at and say, well, we'll see about that. Like we're, we're, we get with Aaron Rodgers, you know, that if he says something, he means it. He has right. created that brand for himself. And I think it's, it's hurt him in a lot of ways, but it's also really helped him in this situation mm-hmm. that you just know he's going to be stubborn. And if you're the Packers and you know he's playing for the Broncos or he's playing nowhere, then what are you supposed to do? Like, are you really going to test Aaron Rodgers on this? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't because he's not going to back down because then all of a sudden it becomes an ego thing for him and he runs off of ego, which again is maybe the reason that he's won a Super Bowl and has been the quarterback that he is. Could also be the reason he hasn't won a couple more Super Bowls. Who knows? But we don't need to get too deep into his psychological state. Let me ask you this, though. Shailene Woodley, who, of course, is Aaron Rodgers' fiance, earlier this week, she retweeted a video of of Stephen A. Smith talking about about Aaron Rodgers saying it wasn't about the money. And Smith, in the the quote, said, Mm -hmm. quote, this is about the way the Green Bay Packers have treated their star player. They've disregarded him. They've dismissed him. They've minimized him. They disrespect him. And he said, bump y'all enough is enough, unquote. And this was something that she re- she retweeted. And then Shailene Woodley's mother, according to the New York Post, <laughs> quote, tweeted the video with, quote, spoken truth, unquote. So what is that mean? <laughs> I mean, but again, it's always they would know, right? They would know what Aaron Rodgers is thinking. 
Absolutely. And all the news that we get, it's basically just confirming what we already know. Where it's like, yeah, yeah that's, that's what we've been saying all along. It's not about the money. It's Aaron Rodgers. He has plenty of money. If he wants more money, he can go get more money. He wants that rings. He wants, him. he wants rings and a commitment to get him. I, I, exactly. I, I always say he's sitting there in January, staring across the field at Tom Brady and the Bucks celebrating an NFC championship uh-huh. game. And he's thinking that should be me. Yes. And the, the other piece that I mean, the other news that we just got last week mm-hmm. that he turned down the, or no, that was this week too. Yeah. It's been a long week that he <laughs> turned down a contract <laughs> extension. It's like, we knew all off season that he, turned down or we heard reports that he turned down a contract extension that's the way the Packers went about it we just didn't know it officially and and then it comes out officially and it's like okay so we were right this whole time about something that we had assumed most of the time just like the Stephen A. Smith stuff mm-hmm. um, and getting back to the comment you know the, the one thing I do think is really interesting in there is that they could say okay Aaron you're gone after the season we will restructure this it's a one-year deal that to me, if, if it's even possible to restructure in that way, it might not be. I'm not so sure on that kind of thing. You just don't see the situation very often. That could be, in my mind, like the one way that you do keep Aaron around is to say, yeah, it's a one-year deal now. Mm-hmm. Which is probably what they wanted anyway, because at some point, if you're going to draft Jordan Love, you're handing the baton to Jordan Love. Yeah, and, at the and- same time, though, are you really going to ditch Aaron Rodgers to see what you have in, in a first-round draft pick. In my mind, I would say, no, no, no. You you keep Aaron mm-hmm. as long as you possibly can. And if that means that Jordan Love plays out his entire contract and walks in free agency four years later, you're happy with mm-hmm. it because you have, I mean, maybe, I guess it's definitely projecting what yeah. Aaron Rodgers is going to be in a few years. But I'm much happier saying, I'm taking whatever Aaron Rodgers gives me next year than seeing what we have in Jordan Love. I think teams can move on a little bit too quickly. Yeah, and you know what? It's almost like teams are so anxious to try to kind of not have a rebuild mm-hmm. that maybe they do things too soon. We all saw the last dance last year, right? Mm-hmm. And if there's something to be learned from that, it's that even though the Bulls were getting older, they probably should have let that run kind of die a natural death. Mm-hmm. rather than killing it off after the 98 season, jettisoning Phil Jackson, kind of forcing Michael Jordan into his second into his second retirement, of course, even end up coming back to play for the, for the Washington Wizards. And certainly on the back end of it for the Bulls, it, their plan failed spectacularly and they probably, and they took themselves out of relevance too soon. Whereas mm-hmm. you compare, you compare that with the San Antonio Sp- Spurs, are they a good team right now? No, but they're not abject the way the Bulls were. And then even at, when they had, you know, when Tim Duncan had retired and other guys had moved on, it was still a team that was kind of allowed to kind of have a, a natural petering out where they were still a competitive team and they actually still are a competitive team, even though they missed the playoffs the last couple of years, they've been on the fringe, but they had a couple of first round losses. They went seven with the nuggets back in 2019. That I think would, that's a better way. I think to let kind of something play out toward the end, because if you try to force it, it doesn't necessarily, you might end up with a disaster 
like the Bulls hat. I I I feel like yes. just if you've got something great, you ride it for as long as you possibly can, even though it means it might kind of have that kind of that that long that long slow fade, kind of like the Roger Federer career arc where he's still good and competitive, but it's that long kind of fade out toward eventual retirement. Absolutely. And I think that there's a couple things at play. First of all, I think teams can kind of underestimate how hard it is to be a championship contender. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, this is something I've talked about my Packers fan roommate last time, yeah. bring him up again. One of our like biggest arguments ever was about exactly this, where he was saying, you know, they can lose Aaron Rodgers and they're still going to be good. You know, my entire life, they've been a good football team that's been in the championship conversation, all that. And it's like, because you've had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's like, no, the Packers just cannot be bad. And I said, I said the exact same thing about the Broncos three, four years ago. And then you lose your quarterback and things fall apart. You know, it is really, really hard to be that good of a football team. And when you have it, you don't try to get rid of it or change it. I think, you know, again, it's about a team or management or whatever, thinking that it's easier to build that kind of team than it really is. And that's what we saw with the bulls is a GM who kind of was full of himself and wanted to move on to the next era and get a head start on that. It's like, no, you have a really good thing. Don't ruin it. You know, same thing with the Colts with Peyton Manning. And there's other factors there with the neck injury. Is he going to be himself? And you have the opportunity to take the number one overall pick in hindsight. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they wish they had just kept Peyton and run it back and seen yeah. what they would have done themselves over those four or five years while watching Peyton Manning play the best football of his career in Denver. I agree. I think if the Colts had to do it again, they, they, they would probably make a different choice if, knowing what they know now. Now, we yes. it was perfectly defensible to say, okay, Andrew Luck is generational, and he was mm-hmm. a generational prospect. He just couldn't stay healthy. For your Packer fan roommate, I would say this. I mean, it's it's clearly an age thing. If you are below the age of 35, you have no memory of what it's like for the Packers to throw up quarterback. I'm old enough to tell you, I remember watching that team when Randy Wright was their quarterback. <laughs> all right. It it was it was bad. They, uh-huh. were, ter- they were terrible. They were irrelevant. <laughs> it was Green Bay used to be the place that other coaches threaten to send their players to there's a famous old nfl film john mckay <laughs> clip where he's mad at his team the bucks in a preseason game and he says he's threatening to run every bleepity bleep to green bay <laughs> that was where you were threatened with if you if you sucked if you're struggling uh, i'll trade you the packers mm-hmm. have, have fun in northeast wisconsin yeah your door county's lovely <laughs> if you have a quarterback keep him because there's only like five alive and the odds that your first round draft pick is going to be one of those mm-hmm. 10%. You, I mean, what it, it's every other year you get the type of quarterback who goes and wins a Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, the fact that the, I think part of it is because the Packers hit when they did this Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers transition, it's like, okay, we can do this again. Yep. I'm, I'm skeptical because I didn't see it with Jordan Love. Jordan Love is also in a very little history on the 26th pick for quarterbacks. The 26th pick at quarterback is awful. Really? Like Paxton Lynch went 26th. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's enough, honestly. It Sask- doesn't even matter who else. <laughs> Saskatchewan right, Rough Riders quarterback, Paxton Lynch, by the way, his salary, if he makes the Rough Riders, is, uh, is $65,000. Oof. So, Oof. Wow. So. That's a... That's a very quick fall from where he was a few years ago. Yeah. Fall, fall from, fall from grace. And then another guy who went number 26 as a quarterback, Jim Druckenmiller. If you say I don't even who, know who that is, yep. exactly. Jim Druckenmiller was a quarterback from Virginia tech and the 49ers picked him and he had, he was thrust in the starting lineup as a rookie the Niners won a game with him as a starter, but he didn't do very well. Clearly, didn't he wasn't the guy. And four years later, he was playing in the first version of the XFL. Oof. The best quarterback taken number 26 overall is uh, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, did, I mean, he never actually did anything as a quarterback, but at least he's a name you know. He was, I guess he was pretty smart at the time. He, he was a, a lower, a mid-tier to lower mid-tier guy most of his career. Okay. But he hung around for a long time because he was smart and a good leader and all that. And now we see, you know, he's had a long coaching career, although Michigan seems less and less happy with him as time <laughs> goes on. And the, the th- this is going to end with Jim Harbaugh going back to the NFL, probably. As a head coach, you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. His Just because things aren't working out at Michigan as the uh, Go Blue supporters would hope, doesn't mean he's thought of in any less regard in the NFL. It's just a question of how long can you live with him? Because he, he's a guy that, as we saw in San Francisco, eventually kind of rubs people raw a little bit uh-huh. and, and, and kind of leaves some scorched earth in his, in his wake. Yeah. And I so. think, you know, a Pac-12 guy looking ahead at like the non-conference schedule, yeah, You know, you look at uh, Oregon, Ohio State is like the huge opportunity for the Pac-12. Washington mm. playing Michigan. Ooh. I expect Washington to beat Michigan in that game just because Michigan is not – oh, it's scary, but it's going to look really good for the conference when they knock off Michigan because it's still Michigan. Yeah. Is that game in Seattle or is it in uh, Ann Arbor? I think it might actually be in Seattle. It's tough because so many of these were. Oh, it's in it's in Ann Arbor. Is Ann, it is yeah. it in Ann Arbor? It's tough yeah. because I, I get the last year's schedule mixed up with this year's schedule. Okay, so I'm pretty sure like Oregon was supposed to go to Ohio State last year, and yeah. now Ohio State's going to Oregon this year, but that might be backwards too. It's the primetime game on September 11th, Saturday night on ABC. It's gonna be so, fun. So Michigan opens with Western Michigan, Washington at home, Northern Illinois, Rutgers. All right. They're going to be 4-0, and they're going to go to Madison, Wisconsin, <laughs> play the Badgers in October, and they're, they're going to get smacked around the way they did two mm-hmm. years ago. <laughs> yep. That's not a strong football team. It's just good branding and a bunch of talent. Yes. And that talent is going to show up in, in a bunch of games but fall off in too many. And then, of course, they're going to lose to Ohio State at the end because that's just what they do. There's no way they win that game. Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten, and it's not close. Like, it's mm-hmm. not quite the same as, like, Clemson in the ACC. Yeah. But it is very similar where this is another tangent. But but you look at college football conferences, it's like the Pac-12 is the worst. It's like, well, what would we say if USC was USC or Oregon was like 
what Oregon could be. Because you look at the Big Ten, there's a bunch of good teams, better than what the Pac-12 has depth-wise. But Mm -hmm. Ohio State does a lot of heavy lifting. ACC is basically all Clemson. The SEC, you have like Bama, Mm -hmm. and every year a couple of others, and that's what really separates it. The Big 12, you have Oklahoma every year, and a bunch of, eh, that's probably the biggest comparison to the Pac-12. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've I've long thought that one of the best jobs in college football is Wisconsin because mm-hmm. you you as long as you're just good and competitive, they're not gonna they're not gonna run you out of town when you go eight and five or or a seven and six. Mm-hmm. Like, and okay, still- okay, you know what? You still went to a bowl. Let's just go. Let's go get them next year. You know, Wisconsin <laughs> Wisconsin is content being that kind of. Eight and eight and five to eleven to eleven and three type of team. Yep, and you know expanded college football playoff where twelve teams make it. If They'll you get do in. get one of those twelve spots, mm-hmm. people are going to be thrilled. Yes, and that just bought you years of job security and years of being allowed to go eight and five, seven and whatever, mm-hmm. nine and something. You know, it's it's a definitely a good spot. It's too, especially it's too, good yeah. too. It's too bad they don't have the 12-team playoff for the for the next couple of years for Wisconsin because we talk about quarterbacks who could emerge and uh, Graham Mertz has got a lot of potential and he's got the Patrick Mahomes seal of approval. Oh, I didn't know that part. Mahomes loves him. Like he, he's from the Kansas City area. Oh, okay. But Mahomes has, has publicly said how what he thinks of Graham Mertz and how he thinks he's going to be a great quarterback. And there were flat like as a freshman last year there were flashes. But then Northwestern kind of put the hammer down on him. But uh-huh. let's see what he does this year. And uh, I'd say he's the best quarterback that Wisconsin has had since Russell Wilson. So, yeah, I mean, talent-wise, he yeah. it absolutely is. And yeah. maybe I just caught him on some bad days. But the Northwestern game was horrible. Like, but Northwestern did that to a lot. I mean, Northwestern did that to Justin Fields. Northwestern's an interesting school. That Pat Fitzgerald. Ooh. That. They're they're that's, never going to be really good, but yeah. that's a that's a one of those teams where it's just going to be a winning record, eight nine, maybe even ten wins every year, just because mm-hmm. they're they're right there. And yet it seems like Pat Fitzgerald at some point you feel like there's going to be a pro job for him, and he's going to make the leap. I think so. I, he fits that mold. He definitely fits that mold. I think if the Bears go sideways, he's their top. He's their top candidate. Yeah, Midwest. Too. There, there I, are yeah. there are some connections through the the Ryan family, as in the you know the, the stadium and the field house at Northwestern to the Chicago Bears as well. So there's that, and George Payton and Pat Fitzgerald have the same agent. Interesting. Yeah, Graham Mertz, very exciting. Started uh, hot, and then after that was pure oh. talent and nothing else exactly and that's why let's let's see what he did this offseason because it, it, mm-hmm. he classic example of a guy that once there was film on him people adjusted but then at the end mm-hmm. he adjusted back like there's there's that three okay. games because there's that three game stretch last year where wisconsin scored a grand total of 20 points against northwestern indiana and <laughs> iowa it was brutal to watch uh-huh. just gouged your eyes out bad played better against Minnesota and then had a nice game against Wake Forest in the Duke's mayonnaise bowl. The, uh, the trophy, the, 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 the uh, yeah. trophy breaking. Bowl. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He could, he could be a Bronco. 
you know, in the world where mm-hmm. Drew Locke does enough to like stick around one more year, uh huh, and then after that they say, you know what, things went south. We've got a top ten pick. I mean, he was that what he he was the number one rec- no he was number one quarterback in his class back in the day. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's a path to Graham Mertz being a Bronco for sure. Yeah. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be something? You know, they should have had Russell Wilson. They should have. They should have. That that that's. I will maintain until my dying day that the biggest mistake of the John Elway era, the one that could have changed everything, they should have. Don't let height be a deal breaker. I mean, <laughs> literally, Russell Wilson was better across the board and everything than Brock Osweiler, but height. Okay. Yeah. My my deal breakers are inability to learn an offense, lack of leadership, inaccuracy. Being 5'11 shouldn't be a deal breaker. No, yeah. no, no. But yeah. It was, as Jack Del Rio said on a podcast a couple of years ago, that was a deal breaker. And and the crazy thing is, like, you look at the NFL as a whole, uh-huh. not just at the quarterback position right now compared to five, ten years ago, what they feel about height. Obviously, things have changed about quarterbacks. Like, yes. you're willing to take Baker Mayfield first overall. and things Kyler even, Murray. Yes, even more in favor of short guys. But then across the field, too, you know, guys like Tyree Kill have made, like, mm-hmm. shorter receivers easier to justify. I, I think, I guess maybe still in the trenches, it's – height is a very big thing but i do think small players at the skill positions too are in better shape than they were a few years ago i agree you know and kind of uh, the the guy i look back on and say boy i wish he would have come along 35 years later is doug flutie huh interesting strong-armed guy but he was you know five nine five ten and even though he had some success a couple of years in with the patriots they couldn't get past the height thing. He ended up going to Canada, and he played really well in Canada. But those were kind of prime years. But then he got, but he comes back to the NFL, and he was a good quarterback in his late, in his mid to late thirties. And it's all, it's almost kind of like you know, what if he'd come along at a different time? Doug Flutie probably came along thirty five years too soon. Today, today he'd be the number huh. one pick because huh. they'd look at they'd look at the height and say, okay, well, fine, but this kid's got a cannon; he can make all the throws. He's athletic. He's a good leader. Oh, I wonder if Flutie, I wonder if fun. Doug Flutie thinks that today. Like, man, if I just could have, if I could have come along in another generation. Imagine, imagine Elway coming along in this generation. Oh, God. where I think all of his skills would be better utilized. I you do know, too. I you're, you're trying to throw the ball downfield more. Uh, I, I think he'd be. I, it's just a shame. I mean, he probably looked a lot like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or something like that, mm. but kind of a waste to put him back in that era. Yeah, I agree. It was an it, unimaginative, unimaginative era. Yeah. It, it also like let him become kind of like a trendsetter. Yes. Like kind of change the brand of football a little bit, mm-hmm. blaze that path as a gunslinger a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, if, if he had come around when people knew how to work with a gunslinger better, that obviously would be a lot better than being the trailblazer who made people rethink everything. Yeah, I mean, I think I look sometimes at Elway's old highlights, and I, I have little Mahomes flashes mm-hmm. because the way he the way he escapes contain, the way he moves mm-hmm. around, the way he keeps the play alive and keeps his eyes downfield, and then can beat you with a strike across his body. 
Yeah. It was something. It was really something special. Finally, Melbourne Bronco. Hi, guys. Wondering what you guys think the chances of Chip Kelly returning to the NFL as a head coach are. <laughs> I doubt he'll get another chance, but he'd be a great offensive coordinator. First college games I watched frequently were his Oregon years with Mariota. Awesome offensively, but failed the big games defensively. Cheers. All right. Good. You're a Pac-12 guy here. So it's good to have you on this for this question. Yeah. Thoughts on Chip Kelly? I, uh, I, no, it's, I can't see it happening. I yeah. can't see it happening. I think that, you know, I'm excited. Pac-12 media day next Tuesday. And I think there's a real chance I'd sign myself up for 10 minutes alone with Chip Kelly. And that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll report back after that, but you can't uh, get 10 minutes alone with Nick Rolovich. No, I can't. That that was a lot of fun to see. Because <laughs> because then I went through and I was like, I can't actually like. This is one on Twitter. I'm just gonna kind of sit out a little bit. The vaccine stuff. Probably um, smart. Although don't you have don't to know. don't you have to be vaccinated if you're a Washington State staffer instructor? Don't you have to be vaccinated? That was like a whole another Twitter thing that yeah. people were talking about. They said there's a vaccination mandate. But there's exceptions for like religious, medical, or personal reasons, well, and so it's that. not. If you can take a personal reason, is it really a mandate? Twitter yesterday was saying no, that is not what a mandate is. But wow. but yeah, I, I mean, so basically, Pac-12 Media Day, best offensive, I you do offensive and defensive representative from every school, coach from every school, turns yeah. out to be 36 people, have to be vaccinated. Nick Rolovich is not going because he refuses to get vaccinated, which is news that broke yesterday for anybody who's in the dark about this conversation. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I can't believe, especially because without getting again too deep in the vaccinations, it has been seen across college football as like, a, we are going to do everything we can to get our team vaccinated. It's right. going to be like a huge part of our winning this year because, you know, SEC's already said, big 12's already said that if you're, not going to be healthy enough to play a game, you have to forfeit that game. And so, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, Nick Saban did, like, a PSA encouraging people to get vaccinated. There's been this huge push from the staffs at almost every university to get everybody they can vaccinated. And then to find out that's different there, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens up at Washington State. And like usual, I expect it to not be great things. Oh yeah, uh, going back to Chip Kelly. Back to Chip Let's Kelly, yeah. No, yeah. it's okay. That was a good. That was a. That was a good sidetrack. Uh, it was a good one. Um, I think uh, what he did at Oregon was really innovative, and it changed the way that college football is played. And there were a lot of things that he did that kind of sparked, I think, the transition. I'm not sure that he like he wasn't like the inventor of the RPO or anything like that, but I do think that he kind of paved the way for that sort of football. Yeah. And I think that when we look back on Chip Kelly, what we're going to say is he's somebody who changed the trajectory of football, wasn't necessarily the guy you want running a football team. And that's a really big difference um, because now that the whole country is kind of caught up to him in terms of that kind of stuff is, at the college level, right? what he's doing at UCLA, you know, the fact that he can't recruit all that well is coming back to bite him. The, the fact that he just in general is not the greatest coach is coming back to bite him because you think of UCLA and there's this hotbed for talent and people, I think people kind of got overhyped on them last year mm -hmm. um, because they had some talent and they had an explosive offense. Um, but to me, there just isn't anything that makes you say, first of all, that this is, and I feel like I'm being kind of harsh. Like this is the leader of a football team that you want. 
but also in terms of the play design, the offensive schematic stuff. Mm-hmm. He isn't as unique as he was when the Eagles gave him an opportunity a few years ago. And with those two right. things combined, I just don't see how you justify hiring him to be a head coach again. Yeah, and it was starting to happen in Philadelphia. They closed his second season one and three. You were also you were already and they they finished that year um I believe they were 10 and 6, but you could see that they missed the playoffs. People are starting to kind of figure things out, and then he gets fired with one game left in the season. So I just kind of quickly took a look and said, okay, since the since the end of that year, what is Chip Kelly's overall record? Because he's 10 and 21 uh, at UCLA so far. Yep. He in his last two NFL seasons was uh was was eight and twenty-three. So that's uh, 18 and 44. And then, then to kind of do a 16 game comp, you'll throw the last two games of 2014 on there. So, this is somebody who is literally, he's 19 and 45 in his last 64 games. His teams are yep. college and pro. And that's an average of five and 11 per 16 games. And I think you, you kind of hit it. People have caught up to him. Mm hmm. People have caught he's being beaten by people who've taken his ideas and built on them and made them better. And we haven't really seen the evolution from Chip Kelly himself. This this is, this is, if they lose at UCLA, this this is it for him, right? I mean, if they go four and eight again, he's, he's got to be gone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was on the hot seat last year. And again, like, I think a lot of the reason he got a lot of attention and UCLA finished three and four last year, they kind of tailed off. But but USC mm-hmm. was down-ish. You know, I think a lot of people were kind of out on USC because they have struggled for so long. Clay Helton seems like he's just fighting to keep his job for as long as possible, and it seems inevitable he'll be gone eventually. You know, you have Arizona State, which was supposed to be the exciting team in that division that only played like two games last year because they had consistent COVID issues. And there was kind of this lack of storylines in the Pac-12. It, the shortened season didn't help that either. And what you had was, oh, Colorado, they're they're really good this year. But because Colorado's Colorado, that wasn't really the sexy storyline. Mm-hmm. And so when UCLA was busting out a bunch of points uh, for like a three-week, four-week stretch and winning some games, people really clung to UCLA. It was like, okay, this is the time things are turning around. And that kind of petered out too. And so he kind of lost all that buzz. And at this point, yeah, unless they go to a bowl game this year, I think it's going to be time for them to try something new. Yeah. Underachieving program, UCLA. Should be a lot better than they are. And Yeah. Gosh, when was the last time UCLA was even relevant? I mean, so (laughs) Carl Durrell. Now at uh, yeah. Colorado, the head coach, his last head coaching job was UCLA from like 2003 to 2007, went they to were, a bowl game every year, yeah. went to a Rose Bowl. And then once he left, because they had higher standards than that, they mm-hmm. really fell off. And I'm not sure that they must have made it to a bowl game at some point between now and back then. But well, they had a couple of decent was, years with Jim with uh, Jim Mora, the younger. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was rumored for the CU job. Yeah. Last year for a minute. 
Oh boy, there's a there's another can of worms there, Jim Mora. <laughs> <laughs> there did, you ever, did you ever see the clip of him on the radio in Seattle, where he was on radio, but they had a camera in the studio. And he was talking about people who cheat, and he kind of mouthed Pete Carroll cheats. <laughs> Interesting. No, I didn't see that. Yeah, this was like many years ago. It was like I, I it mean, was I believe it was between when he was he coached the Seahawks and he went to UCLA. And he kind of okay. said, and it was yep. sort of basically kind of tweaking Carroll because Carroll replaced him with the Seahawks. So, huh. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, again, in college football, if you're winning a lot of games, mm-hmm. you're cheating. And if you're at USC, mm-hmm. you're cheating. Like, that's, that's just the way that it works. And yeah. so, like, love Pete Carroll, seems like a good guy. I don't even like want to knock a coach for paying student athletes to go to their school because it's like yeah they Mm -hmm. they deserve this money too like it's it's not like what you're doing is totally wrong it's just that it's giving you a competitive advantage and it's what happens everywhere so can you really blame anybody yeah and now we're in the nil era so yeah it's all changing again this is and uh it's a new landscape to to navigate but uh probably might mean that things are a little bit more kind of above board i guess you could say I think so. I mean, yeah. definitely more so than before. Um, how much there is behind the scenes, we'll just have to wait and see. Well, and actually not see because we won't ever really know. Yeah, we won't ever really know. So, Henry, appreciate your time. Thanks for, for chiming in. I think, how long was this another, this might have been another two-hour pod. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, it'll be shorter today. No, only a little bit shorter. Before we go, I want to tell you about MSU Denver Online, of course, the presenting sponsor of the DMVR Broncos podcast. And uh, time and again, they want you to know the one thing that will protect you against economic downturns is an education that will allow you to adapt in a very increase. You can build your toolbox at MSU. You can keep your job and continue your education. More, stu- more MSU students work double the hours while taking classes than than those at any other school in Colorado. MSU Denver will put a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. They're the the Colorado institution that will provide rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. And MSU Denver graduates will use the relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. There are some really great people that have been around the Denver workforce for a long time, successful people who got their start at, at MSU Denver. And you can get the same quality of education online as you would in person at MSU Denver. So check out MSU Denver online. For Henry Chisholm, I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for joining us here on the DMVR Broncos podcast. We'll be back on Friday, scheduled to have Andre Simone and Ryan Konigsberg along with me for the Friday podcast, really kind of the last pod before we dive into the 2021 Broncos season. Thanks for listening. Take care and thanks for riding with us.